Hello and welcome to the Little Heart Warrior podcast. Today I spoke with Lauren who has five-month-old Ellie. Ellie was diagnosed at the 20-week scan with transposition of the great arteries, TGA. Ellie suffered quite a few setbacks in hospital, so I will warn you that this episode may be triggering for some listeners. I hope you enjoy the show. Lauren and thanks so much for coming on to the podcast so we've got Ellie who's now five months old so she will probably be the youngest podcast I've done so far um so I'm assuming we've probably got quite a lot of fresh memories about everything that you've been through um and I just wanted to kind of take you back from the beginning and find out a bit more about Ellie and her journey um and did you have a prenatal diagnosis or was it postnatal? Yeah, so we, we went along on to the 20-week scan and luckily it was, um, our, my husband was allowed to come with us, so with us, me and Ellie at the time, um, which was really lovely because um, I'd previously suffered a miscarriage, so the 12-week scan was really scary, but obviously when we found out she was a healthy, growing baby, we were really, really pleased, so um I sort of went quite naively, I suppose, like everyone does at the 20 week scan and you find out that there's something wrong with the baby. Um, so yeah, we, we were literally in the ultrasound room and the sonographer was saying, uh, okay, I'm just gonna do some checks. And she was sort of going from the brain to the heart and then kidneys to the heart and then lungs to the heart. and she just spent a long time on the heart and she said I'll be back in a moment and me and my husband were just frozen and we just we just looked at each other and absolutely petrified and uh, she come back and she had another person with her and she said um, this other person said yes I think so too and um, yeah essentially she said your I'm so sorry your baby's got transposition um and I just thought the the first thing I I asked was can I take her to term and she said I'm sorry I can't answer that um and yeah just burst into tears so we went into this like small I don't know room with a box of tissues in there um I suppose they say it's sort of like a quiet room and just waited and waited and waited and waited and eventually this midwife came in with this printed off booklet on transposition of the great arteries and they said have you heard of this before and we said no and they said this is what your baby has um obviously meanwhile Andy my husband had googled transposition 20-week scan and found out it was transposition of the great arteries and it all looked really positive. So we looked on the Tiny Tickers website and um, the BHF website, and it was sort of like 98% chance of survival. So they we'd already set ourselves up for what it was. Um, so when they came in with this leaflet, it's the same one that we found on the British Heart Foundation website. Um, and then that was on the Friday. And then on the Monday, we had a ultrasound in Southampton, which confirmed it was transposition. And so did you have, um, so you went to fetal medicine presumably and you had a cardiologist present and 
they confirmed. And what and so what information did they give you at that time? Did they say so you would have been on a 20 week scan? So did they offer things like um genetic testing or things the amniocentesis? And did you did they go for all of that kind of thing with oh. you? Yeah, so uh Paul said um something about amniocentesis, and I I always said even if there was a chance of you know further problems before the scan, I said I'd never do it because of the miscarriage risk. So um, when we got to Southampton, we spoke with the doctor there, the cardiologist. They they did an echo, and then we went into this room, and he gave us just an enormous amount of information. I mean, I must have written down twenty to thirty questions, and before I had a chance to ask those questions, he'd answered them all. Mm. Um, so actually amniocentesis of things like G TGA it's not genetic um it's uh, it doesn't require amniocentesis he said the um you know parallel with further problems is is minimal it's he, he actually said to us if you are going to have a baby with a congenital heart defect you want it to be TGA <laughs> <laughs> um because it's the, it's the simplest um it is a you know air quote um it is a, a life-saving operation. So he said, this condition is incompatible with life. She has to have surgery. And the surgery has to be within three weeks of life because the duct will close. Um, that This um, duct that's open when babies are born that allows the airflow between the chambers of the heart will close. And that will be the only thing that's keeping her alive, basically, because her arteries are essentially the wrong way around. So the artery taking the blood around the body, which then goes into the lungs, then goes into the, oh, I can't, I don't know, even now, even though they had it, I still get it the wrong way around. But yeah. essentially, <laughs> um, they, they said that she would like not have oxygen delivered from her lungs to the rest of their body. The, the blood would just keep going into the heart and then the blood would go, keep going around the body. So they had to swap the arteries round in order for her to be compatible with life I very much remember that phrase compatible with life sort mm. of thing yeah and did they was that the only thing because I know she's obviously since there's been some sort of gastro um issues any was any of that picked up at the 20-week scan or was it just the heart no so that was all uh, and all of the complications was as a result of things that we discovered once she was born um mm. so all of the things all of the sort of complications was picked up after, well, just before her first surgery. Um, essentially, we had, I mean, Ellie thrived. She was absolutely, not thrived, but she was, as much as she could thrive, I mean, her oxygen sats were still mm, sort of low 80s. And um, being low 80s, that's not sort of good with, with the heart condition that she had, because it can be corrected. And then she'd have sort of normal oxygen sats and a normal life, essentially. How old was she when she had her surgery? She had her operation when she was five days old. Mm -hmm. And she, we found out the day before the surgeon, you know, you meet the surgeon before the operation. And when we met the surgeon, he said, to us that she had something called an intramural coronary artery. He said that the, it was something called intramural. So the, the coronary artery, which was um, 
obviously really important for the heart to work um we've all got them and that's that's the thing that you know you've got to be really careful of when you um I'm going off target. So the coronary artery was embedded into the aorta, which is really, um, you know, finicky surgery. It's something that only really happens maybe once every 10 years or something. Um, not, it's really uncommon in TGA. It's really rare. So I was incredibly anxious at this point because not only did we have this incredibly intricate operation of switching these two tiny arteries over, he then had to unpick this artery from the aorta in order for her to survive. Um, and I did say to him, you know, what, what the, the, the doctor, the cardiologist said to us, the life survival chances with TGA is 98% or above. And I said, you know, it's 98%. What was it with this intramural? And he said, oh, probably about 90. So our chances were still good, great we sort of lost that eight percent ten percent which was really scary um but he seemed really not too fussed about it uh, fussed is probably the wrong word statistic based on um what once she had the surgery to sort of switch the arteries back around i think it was those statistics of him being successful and picking this artery from being embedded okay yeah so I mean once if he could do that all was going to be well essentially is what it made out to seem um so you know we we were understandably as all heart parents are on surgery day quite anxious um but I remember in the in the meeting that we had before the surgery day when he you know you you sign that that pink consent form don't you mm. um I don't even read he, it because I think I, I no. <laughs> that form and I remember being given it and I thought I know it's going to be awful stuff on there but she has to have it I have this isn't like I'm signing for as it's a choice I didn't have a choice so exactly. I just don't want to actually know <laughs> so I didn't I even read it and my husband just signed it and I was I just yeah and and the second time around I think I did the same thing <laughs> and because <laughs> yeah I, I don't have a choice in the matter so no matter if I pick it up and go oh all right that might happen um it's not going to make the situation any different it's just going to if anything scare me more if that was possible scare me more than <laughs> I already was yeah it's bizarre isn't it how you're I think obviously you know you got you got the blood transfusion permission and things like that so you have to, to do it but it is I remember reading um I think it's got on there somewhere like reasons for surgery and it says I think the surgeon wrote ability to live or no ability to survive yeah <laughs> and I thought yeah go for it yeah I'll take any other risks I'll take that <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> ability to survive that's uh, yeah. fair enough um so yeah I mean we had that added complication and as it was you know it was just a bizarre bizarre day we were absolutely terrified she went off you know they, they we met the anaesthetist in the morning now i think we met the anaesthetist we met the anaesthetist in the evening who was absolutely lovely answered all our questions um took her for the wash you know the wash that they have um actually had another one in the morning obviously she had um some ebm which they were saving so she could have the um fasting a bit later when they before they have to fast for the surgery um and then yeah we wheeled her down to the to the operation theater and they took her away and 
I just felt you, you, you kiss. They say, oh, would you like to give her a little kiss? And you kiss them on the forehead and we just burst into tears, don't you? And we mm. went back to the, to the waiting room. Um, and we were in this family room, the, the family room on um, the ward. And this nurse, oh, we were there all day. And the anaesthetist said, look, I'm going to phone you at one regardless. And then I'm going to phone you at three or something to let you know we should have finished. How long did they say the operation would be then? So they said it would be about six to eight hours. Um, and I think she went at eight and then she was done by three, I think. But we didn't have that phone call at one o'clock. So we were, and we didn't have the phone call at three, didn't we have any phone calls? We need to just, we, we really trusted him and we were really you know reassured by him. So when we didn't get a phone call, we were quite worried. Yeah. But we just assumed that no news was good news and they were just a bit busy. So God, that's absolutely fine. The amazing second surgery, they um, said the same thing. Oh, we'll phone you halfway. I think they predicted about four hours for her surgery. We'll phone you halfway. So obviously in my head, I had the time in my head. So yeah. and it, I was counting the time until I got that call. And then we didn't get the call. And so I, instead of me going to no news is good news which is what you went to I go to no news is no news and no news is going to make me panic <laughs> so I I totally know that what that feeling was like but I just went completely the other way and, and at the end and it all happened at you know four hours and the set came in and said everything was fine and then the anesthetist came to I'm so sorry but I thought it was more important for me to focus on what was happening in surgery than to, to call you because you know I needed to be there so I thought oh god yeah of course i of course that's but of course I'd prefer you to do that too <laughs> absolutely yes yeah but at the time oh of course your your mind does give you the demons we used to say that we used to call them the demons in the end yeah you do think the worst but it, it was just bizarre because the nurse the one of the sisters comes in oh well, he's fine uh you can go and see her in, in a bit uh the surgeon's waiting to speak to you he'll be up in about half an hour we were just like okay <laughs> just, you know we had this six hours of terrified uh, state of mind and so you know and and I suppose well where we were there for so long the sisters see these babies go down for their surgery and then they come back up they go down for the surgery they come back up you know it's uh, when I was there and not that I knew of anyway but they don't have babies that you know don't that, that it's quite common that they come back up you know it's really rare for them to go to her parents and say oh you know unfortunately didn't go well I, I know I'm absolutely horrifically it happens but I think where they are so casual where they were so casual about it it must be good you know but at the time we just thought you do realize what we've been through yeah. and you give us yeah. this news like that casual um so you know we, we send the messages on our whatsapp groups and we say Ellie's okay and we see the um surgeon and he's absolutely exhausted and he's sort of leaning. I think he was supposed to do two that day, but where it was quite a complicated procedure, um, I think they had to cancel or, or something because he looked exhausted. Um, and they were working on her all day. And it, yeah, it did have a complication. It was intramural um, because they weren't sure. But, I, you know, he said, she's fine. He's like leaning against the wall. He's like, yeah, she's fine. It went well. And uh, I said, oh, was it? was it intramural and he went he sort of shrugged he went yeah <laughs> like, oh okay and she's okay she's all right and he said yeah and then we didn't really know what to say and the nurse sort of took us away and she said that you can go see her down in PICU in a few 
you know, sort of few, a few bits. So, you know, at that point, you just want to talk to the surgeon and get him to reassure you even more. You know, talking to the surgeons is just medicine in itself. But, um, yeah, we went down to pick you and, and there she was. So that was our surgery day. And she was obviously intubated in her chest. Her chest was open. Um, and we, saw, we actually bumped into the anaesthetist on the way down to pick you. Um, and he said, oh, I was just on my way to come and find you. He said, I should be going home, but I wanted to speak to you. Um, and we sort of said, oh, you know, what, what's, what's that about then? And he said, well, when I sent the surgeon up to tell you, we were just stitching her up as in closing her chest. And he said, but I, I saw some pressures and I wasn't quite happy with them. So we did open her chest again. Um, so her chest is open. Um, and I just wanted to let you know that she's she's doing okay but there was a bit of high blood pressure and as it was she was really suffering from high blood pressure um whilst in covering picky for the week um and I, they they sorted that out so what did they mean that the chest was still open then they, they what that was going to be closed when was that going to be closed in picky before she went to pick you what does that, so, what does that mean so sometimes with TGA, and I, I don't know about other heart surgeries, but I, from my research on Facebook groups and things like that, um, they can actually close the chest straight after surgery. Mm. I don't know how common it is um, to close chests after heart surgery, but they definitely said to us that the possibility of her chest being open and chest being closed was just dependent on how the surgery went, but they, they would hope to close it but um what because would do, what would they do i don't understand what they what that means though because uh, maisie had her clothes and she went into pick you you know stitched up and she had a ah. so yeah what, so what does that so what would that mean so you know so where they have the swelling in the after the surgery and things like that when when we did um we did an amazing tiny tick of support group um before ellie was born and the leader abby she said there might be a possibility that your child will come back from surgery with their chest open or it might be closed. Um, and if the chest was open, then they would close it once sort of the fluid had gone down and the right. pressure. Okay. So, um, you know, if it makes you feel better, you can look online at some, I think tiny tickets have got some sort of photos on their website that you can look at to prepare yourselves mm. um, when looking at babies with you know what they look like and pick you and things like that which really I didn't I think I looked at one because mm. I was quite anxious but um I did want to make sure I knew what I was going to see because we didn't go and visit pick you before Ellie had her surgery which was a mistake I have to admit in mm. hindsight we definitely should have gone down to pick you because I had no idea how it was going to feel walking into that ward mm. but because they Ellie actually took a cancellation spot because she was doing so well um she she could have waited a bit longer for her surgery she was meant to have it on the friday she was born on the friday she was going to have a surgery the following friday about a week old but as it was she was doing so well they had a cancellation so they said oh well he can have the wednesday spot so when um when they said her chest was open essentially she had this sort of gore-tex white patch going down her chest um and it just meant that her body had some more space to lose some of the fluid um 
yeah, I, I don't know medically. I never thought of that question actually. Why to keep it open? I think it's just to to allow the body to to re- reduce some of the fluid and repair yeah. itself a bit more before putting that pressure of closing everything. And the thing is, you don't really know what you don't know, do you? So it's really uh, well, the reason I love doing this podcast and chatting to people is because <laughs> so many experiences are so different and um the the different types of heart defects come with different types of recovery types of obviously types of procedures but the kind of the stuff that sort of sits around it are different I didn't I didn't even know about an open I didn't know that was a bit I didn't know that was a thing so I was because my because my experience is so different it's just one of those things isn't it you just don't know what you don't know so yeah I mean interesting yeah I mean I used to I remember when I was sitting in PICU and I used to you know they they um if they close the chest in PICU they don't take them down to theatre again mm-hmm. they they I, I say they just get a surgeon to come along and close it um but they close they ask all the parents to leave and they have a bit of quiet and they shut the curtains and then the surgeon comes in and I think they sort of push with their hands they they sort of squeeze the chest mm-hmm. and they feel it for a bit and then they say yes or no mm-hmm. so when I mean where we were in PICU for a while there was quite a lot of chests closed um while we were down there um Are they for that or just yeah they're still intubated so that yeah oh, okay. they, they actually use them um, they do it before they extubate them and they use the consultant the pick you consulted to anesthetize them so they don't they don't it's not needed like a anesthetist isn't needed or anything like that yeah understood. um yes uh and so ellie didn't actually have her chest closed until i think the sunday or the monday so she had a chest open for Wednesday, Thursday. I said on the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, four or five days she had a chest open mm. um, because she suffered from hypertension, high blood pressure. Um, and then it did seem like once her chest was closed, uh, everything sort of went really well. So she, mm. um, she sort of then was extubated, then her sedation could be weaned off, then the morphine could be weaned down. Um, and then we were on the ward she could have gone on Wednesday but as it was we went on Thursday because there wasn't space Mm. so yeah and then with TGA you know normal I say normal TGA um, I don't think normal TGA is very common if I'm honest from the research that I've done TGA even though I was told by the cardiologist that it's the one that you want actually there's quite a few problems that arise with TGA whether it's hypertension or problems with coronary arteries or they need further intervention in later life I, I have seen that quite commonly actually so um so I, I'm not sure if it is the the best one air quote but um she um yeah she went back on the ward uh she she was suffering from chylothorax so she went up on the ward with drains in um and I was told I wouldn't be able to feed her until the sort of chylothorax had gone down, which as it was, it's only took really a week for that to calm down. So the chylothorax is essentially um, in surgery. It's, it's not uncommon. Um, the, sur- the surgery is quite, where it was so difficult, um, it can, the sort of glands down your chest can leak the fat from the milk I'm sorry if anybody medical is listening to this thinking I'm talking absolute rubbish, but it's it's something to do with uh, the fat from the from the milk. So 
Um, there's loads of different interventions that you can make, but essentially Ellie was just put on to um, TPN, uh, the total okay. parental nutrition. So she wasn't having any milk at all. And she was just um, being delivered the calories straight into IV, um, into her system. So she was still gaining, well, not really gaining weight, but she was still able to survive, but she wasn't living off of milk at that point. Um, so, so the plan was for me to go home on the Friday, um, come back on the Tuesday and start establishing feeding. And they said she's doing really well. So I think you could probably go home sort of Thursday, Friday if feeding goes well. Um, so it was all looking good yeah um, and then obviously <laughs> we had the, the the instant shall we say and so what happened there um, so on the Tuesday it's it's funny because Monday evening Andy sends me a picture of Ellie and she had a bath um, and she looked really sort of mottled. And I said to Andy, I said, she looks really mottled there. And he said, oh, well, she's just had a bath and she's probably cold. So we wrapped her up and I put some clothes on her and I've just said goodnight. And I said, okay. And then I Googled what, why would a baby be mottled? Um, and I sent, I sent a screenshot back to him and it said, oh, you know, if your baby's got a heart defect or something like that and I and I just something just didn't sit right because I just thought to myself well she hasn't got a heart defect anymore like there's nothing you know in theory she wasn't on any medication um she wouldn't need any medication for the rest of her life I just thought why you know you know when something's just it's not sitting right with you and I just thought well you know I, I I don't know why this is I don't know why she's mottled but maybe it's just whatever so um I just thought well yeah okay she's cold if, if the nurses are happy why why would I go against that it's not anything there's nothing I can do so then in the morning um I had got my kids up we'd um all got in the car so by sort of eight o'clock and I was on my way to Southampton at about well just gone eight um I had a phone call, I had a missed call from Southampton. And I thought, oh, that's funny. I wonder what that's about. Um, and I Googled the number to see if it was the hospital. And then it phoned again. And I answered the phone. No, sorry. I, go I, I had a missed call from Southampton. And I Googled the number because I was in a bit of a rush. And I thought, I just, I'll just get up there. Uh, and my son was kicking off. And I was just trying to get them in the car. And then Andy phoned me, my husband, and then um, he said, there's something wrong with Ellie. I, I don't know what's wrong. I, I'm, I'm on my way over now from the Ronald McDonald house. So um, he was just, he said, stay on the phone. And he was, I, saw, I could hear him rushing to the ward. And then the nurse took the phone off of him and she said, look, something's happened with Ellie. You need to come up to the hospital. Don't rush. She said, there's no point in you rushing, but you need to come now. So I had absolutely no idea what, what was going on. I said, okay. So I dropped the kids off at the childminders. I came, I, I just remember praying all the way to the, to the hospital because we only live in Paul, so it's only about a 45 minute journey. And with COVID and things, it was barely that really. I just remember praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. I knew something wasn't right. And then we got there, we went to the quiet room. Ellie wasn't on the ward. I didn't know where she was. 
we went into the quiet room and waited and um and yeah and essentially they said look ellie's really really poorly um the cardiologist came in and spoke to us and he said there's a strong possibility that she may die and there was the nurse in with us and she just looked sort of ashen faced and i just thought why (laughs) you know what what's happened and he said we don't know she just stopped breathing she had a cardiac arrest and luckily there was an anaesthetist on the ward who intubated her um and they sort of they just really heavily got on this point that you know we're really lucky this anaesthetist was on the ward and I didn't even know what that meant um at the time and and I just remember being quite pragmatic and I just remember saying well what do you need to do what do you need to do to to help you know she's not dead yet so what what do we need to do now um and my husband was in tears obviously and I I just remember thinking oh god I need to pump because my boobs really hurt um and and I just I absolutely refused to believe what he was saying if that makes sense like I the gravity of the situation I do I can't even explain it you know I I remember making this really horrible sort of groaning sound um and the nurse saying that we're going to do what we can is there anything we can do for you and they kept offering us tea and coffee and food and things like that and we obviously didn't want any of that so um that went on for a while and then the surgeon comes in with this pink consent form and our hearts just went oh relief and because that consent form means a chance doesn't it mm-hmm. so you know we were like right okay well she's she's here something's going on and he said and it was the same surgeon as before and he said we want to, we want to try this procedure basically he said it's a coronary artery bypass graft he said what i'm going to do he said one of the coronary arteries is very very small it was it was the one that was intramural it was the one that was being a pain to start off with he said i want to try this procedure um, uh, it's really rare i've never done it before i know people who have done it it might not work but i'm willing to give it a try and i said to him okay well what what's the survival chances then and he said 50 50 and i said okay let's do it it was that there was absolutely no no questions about it um because like you say it's again it was that um ability to survive um so that night we prepare ourselves again we didn't see ellie we, we couldn't see ellie um she was in the cath lab and then she went to, oh no we did i'm trying to think oh she went on sorry she went on ecmo so we were in this room the the surgeon went we signed the consent form um the surgeon went on um and the liaison nurse came in and she said would you like to see ellie and we were like yeah the surgeon asked if we wanted uh sorry the cardiac liaison nurse came up and she said oh would you like to see ellie and we said yeah okay and she said she she is on ecmo um that means that the heart is having a rest after the cardiac arrest and the um machine is doing the work of the heart for her um she's not very well but she's here um so we went down to pick you and 
we saw Ellie and I just remember saying to the nurse, I said, oh, she's cold. She's, she's really, really cold. And she said, yeah, the ECMO will make her cold. So um, we had a chat then with all the people in PICU and we sort of set ourselves up for this operation the next day. And um, in the morning we went along and we had a different anaesthetist. And it was really interesting because he, he said to us, they're not going to do this operation anymore. And I said, what? And he said, no, it's too risky. We're not going to do it. We had a big meeting this morning and um, we're just going to take Ellie down to have a look at her in the operation theatre. And me and my husband, I mean, we were just angry. Like we were just cross because we, we sort of had this 50-50 chance and we were thinking, no, she, she's going to do it. She's going to live. We absolutely refuse to believe anything otherwise. And, and this anaesthetist says, and we were just cross with him. It sounds bizarre now, but we were just angry with him. We were like, how dare you like, go against what the surgeon said and what the cardiologist said. And, and as it is, we're really good friends with him now. He, he, we respect him a huge amount. Um, but we were just cross. And then he, I can't remember the order of events, but we had a chat with the cardiologist then and we and then I, we had a chat with the cardiologist and the cardiologist said yeah we are going we are going to do this procedure and we were saying you know what what's going on it was very very confusing we weren't sure if it was going to go ahead if it wasn't going to go ahead we knew that the cardiologist wanted to do it and we were told since that the anaesthetist and the surgeon didn't want to do it. Um, but the cardiologist was actually the person who pushed for the operation to go ahead. Um, and obviously we're so grateful that he did <laughs> because mm. Ellie, Ellie survived. Um, and yeah, it was just a really strange day. The anaesthetist, we, we love him very much, but he didn't make things easier because he did say to us that 50-50 chance is, is rubbish, essentially. He said, I was really cross with the surgeon for saying that to you because that's not true. Um, How hard which... to hear something so serious be so unclear and yeah, so yeah. uncertain. But like, I, I, I don't think it was anyone's fault. No, I, I, I totally agree yeah. with you. I think, you know, they are doing the best they possibly can. And they've got their own experience and their own knowledge and they're making those decisions based on what they know. And there is always a phrase in these kind of serious situations going to be conflict of opinion, isn't there? But how frustrating yeah. is the parent to be like, I just want this to be clear. I want this to be, we're doing this and this is what's going to happen. And then we're going to come out and then this is what's going to happen. You kind of want yeah. that clarity. So how... I can totally understand why you'd be angry, frustrated, upset, because yeah. that just uncertainty mm. that they're not sure means, means you become unsure, you know, and that. You know, yeah, really and I think, you know, you're seeing your, your, your baby on life support and there's this machine doing her job, which is just bizarre. Um, and I think the reason they weren't sure, but I think it's because the anaesthetist I think it's because the anaesthetist, I don't know if we're meant to use names, is that okay? Yeah, that's fine, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mr. Viola just wanted to have a, a chat with you. And we look at him and he goes, your daughter is a miracle. And we said, we sort of like smiling, like dare to have that smile. And we're going, pardon. And he goes, when I took her off ECMO, 
I just waited to see if her heart would beat on its own because they have the pacer. And her heart has gained full ventricular action. And we said, okay. He said, I wasn't expecting that. She's a miracle. She's incredible. And me and Andy, I mean, we just burst into tears. And I just remember saying to the surgeon, I went, can I hug you being COVID and things? And he went, yes, of course. And I just gave him the biggest squeeze. And I was just like laughing my head off with just relief. And, and he said, you go and see your daughter. So we went back in. She's off at chemo. She's just intubated. Um, she's still down the bottom, like in this bay where she's got all the space. They kept they keep it ECMO there for a couple of days just in case. Um, but yeah, and then she, you know she we had a really that was on Saturday really sort of chilled night, and they said we just need Ellie to heal now. She her heart's had quite you know a, a beating if you pardon the pun. She just needs to rest now. So Sunday and we were sort of in for like in for just a couple of weeks rest, and we thought okay that's fine. So. <laughs> have a really nice day on the Sunday, chatting away to the nurse. He's he, just a lovely nurse. Um, and then on the Monday, I mean, you can't write, you can't make this up. Andy's sort of um, stroking her tummy, talking to her. And considering she's just come off life support, Ellie's heavily sedated and she flinches. And Andy says, she just flinched when I, when I um, stroked her tummy, is that normal? And the nurse said to him, let me have a look so she puts on the um stethoscope and she has a listen and she looks really worried so she gets a consultant over consultant looks worried I mean this is sort of four five o'clock at night um the consultant calls for an x-ray x-ray come along x-ray call for a surgeon surgeon comes along uh this is sort of 11 o'clock at night um and they say look there's nothing we're, we're going to have a chat in the morning to the surgeons in the morning, see how she does overnight. They said it could be something called neck. And they give us this um, information leaflet on neck. And it's quite common with premature babies. And, and I re, I'm reading this, this leaflet and it's going on and on and on about 50, 50% chance of survival if they have to have the surgery. And sometimes you can treat it conservatively with antibiotics. Sometimes it can be caused by a bug. Sometimes it can be caused by an infection. Sometimes it can be caused by starvation of oxygen and they say in the stomach and they say to us that Ellie being on ECMO her body was so clever it directed the oxygen to the to the two places that needed it most which was the brain and the heart and it sort of just abandoned the tummy um so we think there might be something wrong with the tummy and we think it might be something called neck see how she goes because I don't think it was bad enough then maybe to, to warrant emergency surgery then they said we'll, we'll see how she does overnight we get back there first thing in the morning I think we got back about seven o'clock eight o'clock in the morning um we meet the new a, a new surgeon um a GI surgeon and she says look we we are going to operate on Ellie she said we don't have time to take her to the operating theatre we need to do this in here I'm going to turn this ward into an operating theatre and I need to inspect her bowel because I think there's something wrong I think, oh my gosh. And I just remember thinking, this is the worst day of my life. I mean, the cardiac arrest is bad enough, but at least, you know, you don't really know what's going on and you think she's just gone through ECMO. And I just remember crying my eyes out and it was the same cardiac liaison nurse. And I said, you wouldn't do this to a dog. So why are we doing it to my baby? And in the sense of, 
she's really suffering. She looked awful. She was cold. She was um, white. She was, oh, she was so poorly. And um, they said, look, we need to do this operation. There's no, there's no discussion about it. So another consent form. Um, and we just had to go again. We just had to go back to one order and just wait for, her t- for them to do this operation on our baby. Um, and as it was, we came back. They said, Ellie's fine. Uh, we went back. We had a chat with the surgeon. She said, look, Ellie has a little stoma because um, I didn't feel comfortable connecting her bowel again. She said, I've removed 12 centimetres of her bowel that had died, essentially, was really, really uh, rotting and black. She said, I've given Ellie a little stoma um, and we've, she's going to be okay. And we thought, she, and again, she just needs to rest. Her stomach needs to rest. So she was back on the to- total parental nutrition, on the TPN. Um, and she was, she was, she looked better because they said, to, they said to her, bearing in mind Ellie's open, her chest was open still. So her chest was open. And then the, the surgeon said, look, if I don't feel comfortable closing her tummy, I'm going to leave her tummy open. And I thought, oh, for goodness sakes, we've got this baby with her chest open, her tummy open. So when she said she had the stoma, I was just relieved. I thought that's fine because at least, you know, she has got her tummy open. I don't even know what that would look like. So we, um, we managed to go back into the ward, see Ellie. She looked better. Um, and then we, again, she just had a, a bit of rest. Um, she then, I, I, I know that you, you can relate to this because they said she had a collapsed lung. Mm, mm. Um, so did, 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 um, they, did yours have to have a bronchoscopy? No, so she had a collapsed lung because she had a paralysed diaphragm. So her, her, oh, okay. her diaphragm had paralysed, it had raised, and then what would happen is because it had raised and stopped, the lung had then collapsed. So they had ah. to um, get the lung reinflated and they were just hoping for that diaphragm to be unparalyzed. And fortunately that in within six weeks, it did start working again. Thank, thank goodness. Ah, that's amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's, did they say anything about plication to you then? Is that pinning the diaphragm down? Yeah. Yeah. They did mention that if it doesn't, um, then they would have to pin it down. Um, but they, they said that we really do think it will start working again. But if it doesn't in six weeks and she's really suffering, then um, we might have to do that surgery. But I remember taking her home and I remember there was a point in time when I knew Maisie's diaphragm was working again because her breathing just became less less loud and she just became like a bit of a different baby. She used to kind of like drop out on like if she was feeding or crying she would kind of like just drop out and then she stopped doing that after the power after the diaphragm had started to um work again mm. so I kind of thought you yeah, that's working again because um Ellie had diaphragm palsy as well didn't she yeah so they I don't I to be honest it's such a well and she had the bronchoscopy not after not long after she had the laparotomy so I think she might have even had it on the Thursday I thought it's just one thing after the other um, so she had this bronchoscopy for her lung. I don't know if they even thought she had a bug in it, but then they left her alone for a bit. Um, and so she was extubated after she had the Hickman line put in because she was on TPN. She had a Hickman line put in because she wasn't easy to access either. 
So she had a Hickman line put in so that they had easy access to drugs and medication and um, TPN if she needed it again. Um, and yeah, she, she, I don't know how they found out about the diaphragmatic palsy. I think they just did an ultrasound or an x-ray or something, like a routine one. Mm. Um, wow, and, wow. Uh, and I think they found that she had, yeah, this collapsed diaphragm and they showed us on the ultrasound and they said, oh, look, this is, this is not ultrasound, probably the x-ray. This is Ellie's diaphragm. And I thought, really, really not good because she was on the air though. So she had the big thick prongs going in her nose. She seemed to be on that for ages. She did not like the CPAP. Mm. She, I think she wore it for a couple of hours. And I think, she, I think a pretty horrible piece of kit though, isn't it? I imagine that it, it, yeah, especially when they it's quite traumatic. Faces. I yeah. know. Um, I think we've still got the little uh, the thing that goes over her nose. Yeah, I think we we... As well, yeah. <laughs> I, and I just want to show her when she's older and just say, I think her heartbeat got to like 200 because she screamed and screamed and screamed. I mean, she had this, this diaphragmatic palsy, but that did not stop her from making a lot of noise. And we thought there was something wrong. I think they had to quickly put a catheter, uh, not a catheter, um, a, what's it called when they go in your vein? Uh, cannula cannula they put a cannula in her just because they, they were given her like extra medication they weren't sure if she needed more pain relief she just hated the CPAP she just mm. freaked out so they they just put her on airbag and they were like right it's not even worse it's more damaging to put try and put her on CPAP than it is to do that um and I remember saying to the surgeon I saw him uh walk into picky one day after we found out and I said, they're saying Ellie's got diaphragmatic palsy. Are you going to have to plicate her? And he said, is she breathing on her own? I said, yeah. And he said, then I'm not going to touch her. <laughs> so I thought, oh, thank God for that. Um, and I think by this point, he'd become... I think by this point, sorry, I think the surgeon come quite attached to Ellie because when he closed her chest after, um, after ECMO, he said... Uh, the nurse told us that he put an extra little stitch in there and he told her he's not opening up again. Oh. <laughs> um, and then when the surgeon came to do the laparotomy in the morning, they brought him along just to have like, see his opinion on the laparotomy and things like that. Could her heart cope with another anaesthetic, etc. And he said to the surgeon, um, I hear you're operating on my girl this morning. And I thought, oh, that's so lovely. So when he said, you know, I'm not opening up, I'm not touching her to placate or anything I thought oh thank god for that um so yeah I, I don't even know what's happened with Ellie's diaphragm I assume it sorted itself out they can say it mm -hmm. takes like can it take up to six months or something but mm -hmm. I mean she makes enough noise and she feeds like a trooper and she yeah she's doing really well so mm -hmm. her sats are good but um but yeah and and I think once she was off the once she was extubated once her chest was closed and everything like that she was she was sort of just in recovery um and it was just a case of getting her back on the ward weaning down the sedation and the morphine um getting gaining weight and then we can go home but of course the stoma output was never good so we had three weeks of waiting in the ward for a surgery date to close the stoma 
Um, and of course, the weekend before that happened, she caught sepsis. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, you can't, again, you can't, you literally can't make it up. She was um, lying in my husband's arms. She was lying in my husband's arms and, right, go downstairs. She was lying in my husband's arms and she had, um, they weren't happy with her iron. So she had a trilogy on her chest. So it's sort of like one, it's like the big machine, like the big monsters, but it's just, um, no, it's not a trilogy. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, she was lying, she was lying on my husband's arms and she had a monitor on and I look over at the monitor and it was 180 heart beats per minute. And I thought that isn't a good resting heartbeat. That's not normal. So I say to the nurse, I said, Ellie's heartbeat is 180 and she's asleep. And they looked absolutely panicked, took her temperature. Her temperature was 39.4, I think, 39.5. And it was like, vroom, that completely changed. They put Ellie on the bed, they stripped her off. They gave her a cowpole. They uh, did a blood test immediately. They cannulated her. They um, we were doing all the. They even did lumbar puncture. They asked us to leave so we could do. It. They could do a lumbar puncture on the, the cardiac ward um, to rule out meningitis. They did an eye swab because she had a sticky eye. They did a, um, a, a urine sample. Uh, a stool sample and they did all of these tests and they said they sent off her blood just to um, see if it had any blood cultures um but that wouldn't ha that wouldn't tell them anything 48 hours so we just had to monitor this temperature and um just to, to see what it was and essentially we went back over to high care we we're in the nursery but back over to high care um she was completely she went back onto airvo to help with her breathing she was completely covered in wires and monitors again, which was just so alien to us because she had been free of wires except for her Hickman line, which had the TPN going in. And yeah, she just was really poorly again. And we thought, oh my God, you know, we've been waiting three weeks, just killing time, literally killing time to have the stoma closed so that she, we could go home. And, and now she's poorly again. What's wrong with her? And then the surgeon who we saw every day in regards to the stoma and the output and things, she said, um, we, we do believe Ellie's got an infection in her blood from the Hickman line that's got infected. Um, so they basically locked the Hickman line with antibiotics. Um, they stopped using it for TPN. So essentially she wasn't having any sort of, I was breastfeeding but where the stoma's output was so high, where the stoma output was so high, the, the milk would go in and then essentially come out like milk. So her body wasn't digesting anything. It just, the, the, the stoma was just releasing it again. It, it wasn't doing the job of the stomach of taking this nutrient there and putting the fat there and her gaining weight and things like that. That's what the TPN was doing. She was thriving on the TPN, which is why they had to close the stoma early. So, um, yeah, as it was, the surgery was on the Tuesday and we sort of got to Saturday, Sunday thinking, oh my gosh, she's not going to be able to go to the surgery on the Tuesday. We're going to have to stay in even longer. By this point, it was 10 weeks. No, by this point, it was 11 weeks. We were just about to enter our 12th week. Um, and the surgeon came in 
off uh she was off on some saturday sunday she came in on the sunday and she said look we're gonna we're gonna remove the hickman line because they were talking about us going home with the hickman line and then removing it at another time um after the stoma closure because it's not normal to do a they call it a clean procedure and a dirty procedure so the stoma closure was a dirty procedure and obviously a hickman line would be a clean procedure um because she needed to go under anesthetic to get rid of the hickman line um so the surgeon said to us that we're gonna we're gonna close the stoma and do the hickman line um at the same time because of this sepsis and if, do you know they never actually use the word sepsis because of this infection and i turned around to the surgeon and i said is it sepsis and she went yeah i'm really sorry it's sepsis i said oh no one's actually used the word sepsis which i found really interesting um so then on the tuesday she went off for her stoma closure then we had a different anaesthetist again and he said i've got two boys i've got two children ellie is my third which i thought was really sweet i'm gonna look after her and they took her off and i think only maybe two three hours got the call went back in and it was the first procedure where i was looking forward to it happening because i knew it was a means to an end i knew it so they i wasn't worried I, I was quite relaxed on this one because death wasn't on the consent form mm. when it had um when it had uh, possibilities of concern or or things that could go wrong and things like that death wasn't on there i remember saying to the surgeon i said death's not on there and she said well no she said that it's not common for for this to be that serious a procedure so um when ellie was finished we went in she was all swollen her um nasal tube was going from one nostril to the other side of her cheek and i thought who on earth did that um i thought i can't they said that they're going to take her to pick you just as a precaution and um, we went down to pick you and i saw the nurse and it was a lovely nurse that we'd had before and i said oh please can you sort our tube out look at the state of it <laughs> they said oh who did that um it wasn't it was someone in the operating i don't know who did it um so they they sorted that out you know, Ellie's stoma was gone and we wrote on her bag to make the surgeon laugh, um, stoma, Ellie's last stoma bag. And the, the surgeon said, oh yeah, I did appreciate that. Um, and yeah, essentially, it sounds really gross, but we were just waiting for our next poo. Mm. Um, and I thought, what a glorious, glorious day that will be. And she said, we want lots of farts, lots of gas, uh, no milk for now. She was on, not even on TPN. She was on nothing. She could have um, sort of dummy dips. Um, and she said, once she's had her first poo, you can, um, was it feed her, I think? Yeah, you can breastfeed her. So she had that on the Tuesday. Went in, pick you Tuesday night. Uh, came out on Wednesday, went back up on the ward. Thursday, she had her first poo, which was amazing. <laughs> I was so excited. Well, and I, I actually, I think I spoke when I, I think I was like running around the corridor going, Ellie's just pooed, Ellie's just pooed. <laughs> and literally everyone, because everyone knew Ellie, everyone just went, yeah. Um, and even the senior sister, who, you know, you're meant to be a bit scared of, she, I, I felt like saying to her, but I didn't, I was too scared. But I felt like saying to her, Ellie's just pooed. Do you know what this means? Um, and that, literally, just as she'd done the poo, the surgeon walks in 
And she goes, oh, let me see, let me see. And she went, yeah, I'm happy with that. Time to feed her. So we did some feeding. Um, and she just latched like a dream. So we had Thursday, Friday. Um, the surgeon came to see me on a Saturday morning. And he said, no, uh, so we had Wednesday. No, sorry, sorry. That was on a Thursday. Friday, we went uh, into the nursery. And Friday, the doctor came up to me because the surgeon doesn't work on, on Friday. So the doctor said to me, how do you feel about going home? And I was like, what? And he said, look, this isn't productive. You know, you're trying to establish feeding again. Ellie needs to gain weight. You're not, I can see you're not happy. And I went, I'm absolutely miserable. I don't sleep because I'm not sleeping next to Ellie. I don't eat properly. I'm not looking after myself. I, I have been living in this hospital for 12 weeks. It was 12 weeks on the Friday that day. He said, let's see about getting you home. And I was thinking, oh, okay, well, maybe in the next couple of weeks, maybe, <clears throat> or next couple of days even. And the doctor came back in the afternoon. She said, do you want to go home tomorrow? I was like, oh, goodness. what? Do you want to go home tomorrow? And I went, what? And she, yeah. And uh, we had a really nice sort of peaceful night on a Friday. And um, I didn't breathe to think about it. And then on the Saturday, yeah, she came and saw us on the ward. I think we were down by the fish, just you know, wandering around, trying to get a quiet place to breastfeed. And she said, do you want to go home? I went, what, today? She went, yeah. <laughs> yes, please. And we just, and uh, I think the doctors were quite annoyed on the ward because obviously they have to write the discharge letter. And it was a very long document. And um, yeah, and so we went home. And uh, we've been in regularly. She's on a lot of medication. We're still keeping an eye on her weight. She's still very small, but she's thriving. That's brilliant. And so she's <laughs> so she's now five months now. And yeah. so she so where is she on her sort of growth charts? Is she sort of obviously on the lower side, presumably? Yeah, so we're still very closely monitored by the health visiting team, and we go up every Tuesday because they want to increase the medication. She's going to be on aspirin for life. She's on. Um, some heart function medications for life uh, as a precaution. Um, she goes in every fortnight at the moment to increase that medication. She's not on the 0.4 percentile yet. So she's diddy, but she's on her own trend. Mm -hmm. And I'm quite, I'm in good communication with the dietitian as well. Um, so we have started weaning um, under the dietitian and it's difficult to know how much weight they've put on at home because you can stand on the scales and you can sort of hold you weigh yourself don't you and then you put you hold them and you think oh is this accurate but she's gone up she co yeah. she's continuing to go and she said as long as she follows her own trend that's yeah. okay yeah it's the same as Maisie I mean she was on the 0.4 well she was actually on the second before surgery and then she just kind of went onto the 0.4 and has just followed that trend since but yesterday she weighed her and she went onto the second again so I was like oh my god <gasps> 
Yeah, weekend. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. It's such a relief, isn't it? Because you just yeah. think, like, yeah. you just think, don't you? You, you, weight is such a big thing. And I never even thought about it with my son because he was nine pound two when he was born. Mm. I mean, he was, and he was always on like the 95th or whatever it is. So to have this battle with this weight, I mean, it was con- when, when Ellie had her stoma, it was just so depressing because mm-hmm. she always she lost weight before they put it back on TPN and when she was on TPN she was just gaining a ridiculous amount of weight but um obviously that wasn't normal so breastfeeding and gaining weight alone has just been amazing and she's got a suspected cow's milk allergy so it's not as if I can just sort of go oh, I'll just give her some formula and you know I know they have the high energy formulas because um because of that and she had the non-dairy formula that, my, that the same one that my son had actually and she just refused to drink it <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's uh it's a good job she's gaining weight really yeah yeah absolutely yeah she's making it up in her own time though she'll just follow her own trend won't she and she'll just make that up for sure yeah i hope so it's it's so important that she um she's thriving um yeah um but she's yeah she's not on the 0.4 yet but she's on her own one just below and um we're hoping I think the dietitian did say to us you know I think with the weaning that's going to be her key yeah. to unlocking the weight situation but did you find the same yeah we, eating. yeah we did so she had so we didn't expect her second surgery so she had a second surgery to close the VSD at six months which we didn't expect she wasn't she was always just sat on the second percentile before that. So we just thought, oh, that's just her percentile. And that's how she's going to go. She was, she was small when she was born anyway. And um, and then she had, to, but she was tube fed. So, and she was on um, high energy feeds. Um, and we no one can really work out why she wasn't like bottle feeding. We tried breastfeeding at the beginning and that just, uh, that was just a total no-go. Um, and she wouldn't even take the bottle either. Um, for the first seven months I think it was and then she had her surgery to close her VSD and to take like take off this PA band and um, she started feeding from a bottle from a bottle um, and then and then we started weaning her early at four months so we had two months where she needed the surgery but we didn't actually know she needed the surgery between four and six months and we started weaning her from four months and we started introducing food, but she wouldn't, wasn't, she was taking, she was doing better than she was with bottle feeding, but wasn't really that interested. And then, um, and then since after surgery, she's weaning now and she has three meals a day, but she still, still doesn't do high quantities. I think she's just got a really small stomach where she's never had to consume that much volume. Um, and she's now, she's always gained weight, but it's always been on that 0.4. And then now she's, she's not as interested in her milk anymore. She's, she's 11 months now. And she's much more interested in her food and she loves her food, but she's still not eating high quantities of food. Um, so, so say if you take an Ella's pouch, for example, it's the only way I can describe in terms of quantity. She can probably do on a good day, she'll do half of one of those at 11 months. Whereas I think my son, who was probably way up in the 90s and his percentiles, he would eat the whole thing by now. Um, so it's just I just fatten it up with loads of different like cheeses and creams and fat everything he puts in her mouth and make sure it's got good calories in it and good protein Mm. in it so that it fattens her up but she's just a really slow progress with her weight but she's getting there and I'm like the fact that she's gone back I just want her on the second percentile because it gives that (laughs) bit of room when I think if you get ill when you dip it's okay when I'm now I think if you if you dip because she's not used to being on any other trend but that 0.4 
I'm like, oh, if you dip, then you're going lower than what you're used to. So I just think, oh, yeah, I just want you to get on there. And then you've got a bit of room in case you like fall ill for a week or two and you, you can't make up, you know, you don't get that, you don't put on any weight. Um, so, yeah, so she, so really slowly, but she is slowly getting there with her weaning. She's, she can wait, she's eating, she can feed herself and stuff, but just not the quantity that yeah. probably be used to with your son and that I'm used to with mine. It is bizarre, isn't it? And I, I remember my son having them tray meals by this age. That's by 11 months, 12 months, yeah. Um, he'd have them little tray meals, like the Heinz yeah. ones, the spaghetti bolognese or something. But yeah, Ellie loves her food. Oh my gosh. Mm. And she eats like an enormous amount for a tiny, tiny baby. Well, that's good. It's really, it's it's really weird. She's probably just going to make up her own weight. She's probably yeah. more make up then. I hope so. I mean, I think a bit, I went a bit puree happy um, recently because I've got like all the ones mixed together but actually mm. she's still quite little so I've gone back I've just gone back to baby rice and did you use a lot of nut butter yeah we did but she doesn't yeah. really like it so I was putting peanut butter in her um porridge and then tried almond butter but she doesn't really like it so instead okay. I just mash in some banana or avocado or oh, she's just yeah. not a big fan of nut butter just to be fair I'm not mm. surprised I don't really I don't like her either um <laughs> the, the one I've got is not it's not very sweet either but she likes it so I, I literally yeah, just give her baby rice and yeah. yeah milk and um, nut butter which she loves yeah she'll it sounds like she'll probably make it up in no time I hope so but yeah she's she's um she's doing well mm. and so you have been through I mean so much so 12 weeks in hospital in the end mm. and what have they said now for um Ellie now in terms of her bowels and such does is that sort of fixed sorted now she's not going to have any problems later on hopefully not so the, I mean the stone was just a precaution so when they they essentially said they wanted to send us home with a stoma because we get to go home but because mm. of all the issues and they like the babies to get bigger. But because of all the issues, they, that's why they closed it, because she wasn't gaining weight. Um, sometimes they don't work. So that's why they closed it early. As for the um, heart, they're happy. They're really happy. They actually did an angiogram while we were sort of killing time in E1 on the ward, um, where they went in in the cath lab and they sort of inspected the coronary artery because you can't pick up the coronary artery on an echo because it's too small and they could see the graft working so it's like the, the descending coronary artery is too small it works <laughs> it does work it's just too small for the oxygen to to go through sufficiently so the cardiologist and what was really um cathartic actually was the cardiologist who on that fateful day said Ellie might not make it was the person who did the cath which was really nice mm -hmm. um so he was the one who said she's going to be fine so this graft is is by is bypassing the coronary artery and doing the job of the coronary artery and it's called a lima um left oh, I'm not gonna like that left something memory artery um and because that's doing the job of the coronary artery, it's helping out. So they're both working. And there might be something called collateral, which is also helping with the oxygen flow. And because they call it native, because it's not a mechanical valve, because it's not something that we've put into Ellie, because it's her own body, it should grow with her. So touch wood, like it should work forever. 
Mm. They, they, she shouldn't. They don't know. When I spoke to one of the cardiologists on one of her medical trials recently, everyone obviously has been asking us when we came out and sort of settled what's, you know, I remember my dad actually saying, what's Ellie's life expectancy then? And I thought, oh God, I don't, I don't know. I haven't really thought about that. So when we asked, he said, I hope for a very long time because it's native, because it, it, it's working. The angiogram showed that it's working. You know, Ellie is doing really well. She's going to be on this medication to help her heart forever. Um, she's not going to be an Olympic athlete. You know, she's got to be careful when it comes to extreme physical activity. I think there's, you know, many, lots of people do anyway with different conditions. Um, but essentially, there's no, there's no reason why we should worry about Ellie's future. They're going to want to keep a close eye on her. Um, you know, they're still going to do the yearly echoes. At, at the moment, it's, it's frequent, but they want to get to six-month echoes and they want to do a month echo. If there's any worry, then we just take her back and they'll do another angiogram and they'll see if the graft is still working. And if not, she should hopefully be bigger to sort it out. Mm. you know to put mm. that original stent in or something um but for now they they just need her to grow and 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 thrive and see how she gets on so I mean looking at her listening to her you'd never know I mean mm -hmm. it's only when that little um gap in her baby grow dips down you know if she's been dribbling or something mm. and you just see the top of their scar yeah and you just and you, you're suddenly reminded aren't you you think oh god yeah you you had an open heart surgery. Yeah. And this and the little drain marks and you think, wow. No. You seem to you seem just don't see them. I mean, her Maisie's scar down her chest, the, the first surgery she had um to repair her coarctation was under her arm. So um so you never really saw that. And then when she had surgery at six months um down here, I was really like before the surgery, I was really kind of like, oh my God, how, how because I could just see her like no scar. I was just looking at her thinking, oh my god, you know, soon you're gonna have this scar down down your chest. And I couldn't mm. I really found it difficult. I don't know what I think it's because it's the only thing that you kind of take away from that that you can physically see. And I was like, oh god, how you know, how am I gonna make sure that she feels confident with that and as she grows up and you know, with a girl, you know, that, that area is mm. more exposed in bikinis and you know, women are already more conscious about bodies. And I was thinking, oh my God, you know, how am I going to make sure that she's confident with it? I don't want her to feel like, you know, if it, I, want I want her to go to school and get changed in PE and someone says, oh, what's that? I want her to be proud to say, oh yeah, when I was, this happened to me when I was a baby and now I'm fine. And, you know, I just want her to be really confident to be able to say that, not like shy away. And it, it's just, mm. I suppose I was thinking about things that I hadn't thought about before where I, I thought, oh, yeah, I'm really going to have to explain to her and make sure she's, she's proud of it yeah you know, because it's such a mark yeah. of bravery uh, resilience and just shows how much how much of a warrior she is like how amazing she's been and what she a different such a different start in life and um yeah so I found I found that quite hard at the beginning but now um pretty much when she come home and when the redness had gone down I yeah I don't mind don't even see it now it doesn't it doesn't I don't really think about it anymore, but I, I remember before surgery, it was really a big thing in my mind and I couldn't quite get my head around it. Like, how was I going to, what do I put on it? Do I put anything on it? Do I, do you know what I mean? All that kind of stuff. I just couldn't. Yeah. 
yeah just yeah just new it's just new isn't and it's it? crazy how fast it um heals as well isn't it, no, isn't it? yeah it's crazy really crazy yeah so i'd like to end um the podcast on two pieces of advice that you would give to other parents that um either have a condition um like ellie's or just just in general in terms of your experience what would those two pieces of advice be Number one would definitely be you are the expert. I know you've got the consultants and you've got the cardiologists and everything, but I definitely think to be confident in what you think. So, for example, when Andy found the neck, well, he didn't know what it was, but when he stroked her tummy and made, you know, the, the point of, look, something's not right. You are the expert of your own child. You are the person who... You know, they they like listening to you. They like to hear your opinion. If there's something that you think's not right, say it, because I think the the doctors and the nurses really appreciate that. Um, and if you're doing the, your own research, you can, you know, if you're on Facebook, are uh, talking to to families and things like that, you are informed yourself. Um, so so just be really confident in speaking up about your baby. Um, and then the second thing would definitely be um, don't the second thing would be to don't exhaust yourself with the communication to your family and friends when you're in hospital it's really important that you're you know on the ball in the game with your own baby so what was really important is just set yourself up a time or two times a day when you would communicate to them so if you have like your own whatsapp group and this was advice that was given to us if you've got a whatsapp group that's you know family orientated and friend orientated and then you literally just copy and paste a generic message and say this was our day this happened this is what's gonna happen tomorrow or we feel this or something so you don't have you know you're messaging your mum, then you're messaging your dad then you're messaging your sister and then you're messaging your best friend and they're all if you don't message them they're they're not then coming back to you and saying oh how's Ellie we Mm. we really didn't have that we said before we went into hospital we said we will talk to you no news is good news and throughout all the bad things like the really scary stuff not once did we have them turn around to us and say how's Ellie Mm. because they knew that we would update them in the morning and then at night Mm, and I think that it's just so important and I I went to pick you a few weeks ago to see a friend who literally lives down the road and his baby was in picky and he was saying like I'm really struggling because I've got my mom asking me how she's doing and you know my other friends and I think just yeah just message them twice a day once a day um and then have that other time for you and and if they do message you you know any updates just send I'll let you know or some kisses or something like that or just a heart um and don't feel guilty either yeah for being quite good practical piece of advice because I yeah I wasn't told that before actually and I thought I would just you know whatever I'll just update where I can and you just when you're pregnant you don't really realize what the hell you're about to go through do you no. <laughs> you don't really no. you know so you didn't expect to be in there 12 weeks later you know 12 weeks after labor along with um all of those complications that happened with Ellie you know you just don't expect that you don't expect those setbacks oh, I certainly mm. didn't and um and I felt bad because I wasn't literally all I could do was eat, breathe, concentrate on her, what was happening with her medically, 
And then when I could try and get that bonding going, spending that time for mm. cuddles, all of that kind of stuff. And that was it. Sleep as, as well. I tried to get some sleep. And that was it. I couldn't focus on anything else. And I, within that, I had to try and find, you know, sort out my son. And, yeah, it was just replying to a message was hard. It was really mm. hard. And because and information changes from one hour to the next because exactly. they're trying to figure out themselves and you're speaking to different people and different people have different information and different experiences and so you so you, sometimes it's not even clear for you hour by hour what the next thing is do you know what I mean exactly. apart from when you've got yeah. that surgery day when that happens that feels like a certain but apart from that you it's kind of like oh well is is she okay is she not okay is the PA band too tight is it not too and we just didn't know hour mm. by hour so I feel mm. like sometimes I'd say one thing and then it would change I'd be like, oh no apparently it's not as bad as they thought it was and you know you felt like you were just given misinformation but actually it just changed all the time and it's quite nice as well when you give that message in the morning you can say you know it, it's it, it's nice to read in reflection because you can go you know back and through your messages and think oh well we did that as with all things of pictures and things like that but also like you just said where it changes hour by hour we used to say to ourselves in the morning right where do we want to be by this evening okay well we want Ellie to have made progress and what's really important is to remember that no progress is progress you know if nothing else goes wrong that day that's a step forward yeah because the, the opposite to progress is degress and exactly. that is so, so just no progress is better than degree yeah but that so what we said to ourselves was and then when it got to the evening and we'd send that message we'd look back on the day and we go well this is where we you know have a big sigh of relief and go well she's not cured but we're where we wanted to be this morning mm. and then we'd go through the night at ronald and um we'd have the morning would come and we go we, you know, I'd phone in the middle of the night. I'd phone, you know, when I went up, got up to express and things. And I'd I'd phone pick you and ask if she was okay. And they say, yeah, she's actually fine. Okay, go back to bed. Blah, blah, blah. And then in the morning we go, well, she's still here. So mm. we're where we wanted to be last night. And we sort of did 12-hour stints of, um, of where we wanted to be and things. And that helped with the text messages then. Mm. And, and it um, also passes that time, I, I assume, as well, because mm. you're... you're, you're just instead of thinking of everything as a bigger picture just focusing on the going home actually you're just doing it day by day 12 hours by half a day by half a day just getting that right this is what we want to achieve by then that's right that one's done right what's got what's the next day look like you know you you're actually I imagine mentally being quite practical with that time so that you're not actually just focusing on end game because there's so much in between yeah there's no point there's no point going oh, I wonder if I can go home today. There's absolutely mm. no point. Yeah, that, That's a really, really um, difficult way to be. And that's quite detrimental, actually, to your own mental health. Agreed. You just got a little bit, 12, yeah, hour by hour sometimes, 12 hours by 12 mm. hours when, you, when, she, when they get better, and then day by day. Um, and I think what really helped us was being there for the ward rounds as well. Mm, you know, yeah. we didn't understand what they're talking about, but at least we were there and then they might see us trying to make eye contact and they'll go, do you have any questions? Mm. <laughs> and I say, we'll come, we'll do our rounds and then we'll come back and answer your questions. And it, that was really nice. We didn't know that for our first stint in PICU. It was only when we went back to PICU, we were like, we're going to be there at eight and then we're going to be there at eight mm. for the mm. ward rounds at all the changeover even for the nurses. Yeah, so when the nurses would do their handover. 
That's a really good practical yeah. advice, actually, which I didn't think about. But we did exactly the same thing. I was adamant. I was always going to, well, to be fair, I was staying on the ward at the time. So it was easy for me to, I was there before the ward round. But um, but even in the evening ward round, and even when me, eventually me and my husband swapped over, I would still be there in the ward round because I couldn't not, and that's when we got all the information. <laughs> and yeah. that's, that's yeah. what I needed. Yeah, I needed absolutely. the more information, the better, as far as I was concerned. And so, yeah, I was exactly the same. But again, very good piece of practical advice because you miss them you you lose so much information and so much yeah like times to ask questions that you need to ask and because they're so willing to answer the questions yeah yeah and they know and, so, and so knowledgeable they, they do so and it's medicine for you as well yeah definitely I completely agree yeah. and even if you need that re- reassurance that day they are amazing well the nurses are amazing for that to be honest but it is quite helpful to have those ward rounds just so you're going right what's she you know you're increasing her feeds today and you know what she's doing and you feel like you have some you feel like your child your baby is yours so I think once you go from straight from labor into the cardiac ward it felt it feels a little bit like your baby's not yours because mm. especially when you've had a first you know what it's like to have a first where they're next to you the whole time and you go home and it's lovely and you're all together all the time it's not like that with a cardiac baby when you when you've just had them if you had a prenatal diagnosis well not for our for, not for her condition anyway and mm. it felt she felt like she wasn't really mine, and I had to ask to pick her up because she was an yeah someone else's property. Unplug her, and yeah. um, and so the only thing I did like is that with those ward rounds, I could listen to what she what she was feeding. We couldn't feed her because she was being tube fed, um, mm. yeah. and we weren't trained to do so at that point. And so it was like, well, at least at least if I know, at least I want to at least know what she's getting. Like yeah, <laughs> some yeah. control. And it, you know, I, I was expressing at the time, which is just another story, which is absolute hell. Um, but <laughs> I um, feel you. yeah, um, and um, and I, I did that mainly because I just needed something to know I was yeah. doing something good for her. You know, so it's it's such a weird time, isn't it? That I think that's a really good practical piece of advice. Wow, I wouldn't have thought of, but actually, I just did it, but actually for someone who's not been in that situation before that is a really good thing to know mm. half eight half eight <laughs> half eight half eight and then eight eight a pick you it was yeah 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 <laughs> I mean, every yeah. Will be different but that was the yeah. place for all well, the for ocean world wasn't it well, there are there about their own timings of course but yeah generally when I would get there to make sure I was definitely there and then the ward round about an hour later of the doctors yeah. if you wanted to be there yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much, Lauren. It's been so great to speak to you. It's so much, so interesting to hear about Ellie's, Ellie's story and actually quite interesting to hear some of the, sort of the open chest thing. I didn't, I wasn't even aware of that. So that was really interesting to me. Um, and just to understand more about her and all of, all of that, what happened in those 12 weeks. I mean, you're not even double that amount of time out yet because she's five months old, are you? So I suppose yours is so, so it must be so fresh for you still. Um, so I really, really appreciate you speaking about it because the fresher it is, the the harder it is to talk about sometimes. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. And it, it's just a lovely opportunity to, to air it out, really. I've not had that opportunity yet. So that's lovely. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. That was such an interesting chat with Lauren. I really hope you enjoyed it. I was absolutely mesmerised by this story. And Ellie's consistent resilience to fight every battle that she was faced if you enjoyed the chat as much as i enjoyed talking to lauren please rate and review below and share on your socials thank you